It's so great to be here and, uh, and just be in September. We really are transitioning into what feels like a new season and this new series. Today, I want to talk about the call we feel to be a people of prayer. And not just to be a people of prayer in our individual lives. Of course, prayer is this daily being before the Lord. It's this always uh, being in connection with God. But specifically, this call for us to be a people of intercession. Intercession being to stand on behalf of others. To stand on behalf of situations. To stand before God and, and stand in the gap almost and say, we're crying out for this. We're praying for this. We're believing for this. Um, in April of this year, I got to go to England with um, some pastors from across Canada, and we went to be inspired and encouraged by the church there. And then one of the ways I found myself being encouraged and inspired once again was by not just the church that is there right now, but the church that um, has been throughout history. Um, I've had the privilege of traveling to Europe a few times, and every time I go, the highlight for me is actually going to these Christian landmarks where movements began, where God did amazing things, where these key people in history were born and then lived and did ministry. And the thing that I find everywhere I've gone is the common denominator behind every great move of God in history is prayer. It's people being on their knees. It's people in brokenness actually coming to the place of realizing we can't do it on our own. We don't have a good enough strategy. We don't have the, the toolkit, so to speak. We need God to intervene and move. There's a man named uh, John Wesley. And John Wesley uh, ended up leading something uh, or beginning something that's turned into Methodism. Uh, incredible move of God. He, he's actually responsible for creating really specific, smart, strategic discipleship uh, tools and programs that help people actually put their faith into practice and get into the word and learn it. And uh, John Wesley specifically in the 1700s was just looking at England. And though in one sense, it was this Christian nation, he was just very aware this nation's not Christian. There's this brokenness. There's the poor are being neglected. There's so many people hungry. There's so much just apathy amongst people professing Jesus' name. And so he just looks at all the problems and some of those we can even connect to. He looks at England, he just cries out for it and just begins to um, pray to God for wisdom. But when we were in England this last time, we got to actually go to where John Wesley lived for a bunch of his life. They preserved it in this museum. And there's a picture actually, we got to go in this little room, we kind of went one by one, and they've still got this room where John Wesley every day would kneel down and pray. I believe it was 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. every morning before he went to work with his team. And he says himself, the entire thing all came out of his own life of prayer crying out to God for England, crying out to God, would you intervene in the midst of a situation that feels totally helpless? And so we can look back at the story and you can look at history yourself and just marvel at all that Methodism became. Hundreds of thousands of people cared for strategically, discipleship that was like changing the nation and did change the nation forever. However, it was birthed in prayer. It was birthed in devoted, committed prayer. Uh, one of my favorite places I've ever got to go is a place called Hernhut, Germany. Uh, if you ever are in East Germany, you, you got to go. It's actually on the border of Poland, Czech Republic, and Germany. And Hernhut was originally this um, 
this farm or acreage that was inherited by a guy named Zinzendorf, Count Zinzendorf. And, uh, and so we got to go um, a bunch of years ago and actually visit the spot. But Zinzendorf was a guy who, it's kind of a unique story. There were Christians who were being persecuted, a couple hundred of them, and he housed them on his acreage. He had this land and he's like, okay, I'm gonna bring these people in. And there was, there was a lot of like, infighting and disagreement amongst them, but he had this conviction like, no, we can actually, uh, we, can, we can bond together, we can be together in unity. He just like looked at scripture, he had relationship with God, and he's like, God can do something here in this kind of chaotic moment. And so what he did is they, there's a number of things that happened, but he called the people together for a specific time of kind of covenanting together around scripture and then crying out to God for God to move. And, the, and history tells us that actually there was this time in prayer, in devoted prayer, where the Holy Spirit came and, and people said there was this beautiful, unique thing that happened where all of a sudden they had a love for one another that didn't exist before. A unity came amongst them, just these few hundred people. God like knit their hearts together and it actually birthed um, a movement that, that is now known as like the Moravian movement that sparked healthy, good missions in the world. Um, the Moravians were known for selling themselves, uh, not selling themselves, sorry, giving themselves into, the, into this slave trade. They would actually put themselves into slave ships in order to bring the gospel to slaves who no one else would reach. They were famous for kind of going, getting, on the, getting on a ship to go to a cannibal tribe and to kind of say as they were going off likely to their death, should Jesus the lamb not receive the reward of his suffering? There's story after story of these people whose hearts were united, changed by prayer, giving themselves away and changing the world as we know it. But the point of why I'm sharing the story is to say again, this was just an incredible example of how prayer changed everything. That movement, that prayer time that Zinzendorf led, led to what became a hundred year long prayer movement a hundred year long prayer meeting. And so when we were there, we actually got to go up to this tower. I think we have photos of it. And there's this tower where somebody was praying at all times for a hundred years. And so I think about this story of like, we're just gonna get on our knees and pray. We're gonna begin to cry out to God. And, and, and then and I think about all the stories we have from the Moravians of changing the world and bringing missions, but I just can't help but think, no, but the whole thing was fueled by prayer. The whole thing was fueled by this unrelenting commitment to cry out to God, God, God we got nothing without you. Um, also in April, it's fun just telling some stories this morning. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I hope you're, you are as well. Um, in April as well, we, I got to go to um, some friends and I, after being in London, uh, drove over to Wales. And um, one of the most famous revivals in history is called the Welsh Revival. And there was a guy named Evan Roberts. And Evan Roberts is a high school student in the early 20s. He just was hungry for God. He had a passion for God. And he had, he had a life of prayer. And he went to seminary. And then in seminary, he felt like God wake him up in the night and stir in his heart for his home, actually. And so after feeling called by God, he went back to his hometown and, uh, and Evan Roberts began to, or he went to his pastor and he was like, hey, I really feel this call to just begin prayer meetings. And so the pastor was like, well, why don't you take the schoolhouse next to the main church that we just constructed? And so he's like, I'll take it. And he's like, well, you can do youth meetings. So he began to gather youth and they began 
to pray. And in three days, it became more than a youth meeting. God's spirit was poured out and all the adults started hearing from their kids, like this is something's going on. God's showing up in power. And so adults came and in a matter of months, a hundred thousand people had come to faith in Wales. I think it was just in a matter of a, a year or not very long, it was hundreds of thousands of people way beyond the nation itself had come to faith. And over time, Evan Roberts actually got burnt out from being in the spotlight and overwhelmed by the pressure of the revival. And his decision was he got on horseback, went down to Cardiff and committed the rest of his life to intercessory prayer. And I just can't help but think, even with kind of the, some of the sadness in that story, that I'm like, of course, God continued to use Evan Roberts' prayers to fuel all that came from the Welsh revival. And um, the reason... The reason why I share that, besides the fact that I've wanted to do this slideshow for quite a while now, uh, is that I want to emphasize that prayer has again and again changed the course of history. And even emphasize that it hasn't always looked dramatic. You know, the stories seem dramatic as we share them and the implication, but often it's just the 5 a.m. kneeling down, consistent, devoted prayer. I just, I wish I could somehow see the scene, but Zinzendorf gathering the people together, like, guys, God can do something with this mess. Let's cry out to him for unity. And he does it and it changes everything. But I don't know, probably like we have prayer meetings all the time. And I just, I'm like, it's not necessarily polished, but it is the posture. It is the being desperate for God. Prayer has fueled all great works of God through people and not just in ancient history but in recent history. And as many of you know, there's so much in scripture about prayer and the tensions around it are obvious. The questions in many ways are obvious. Like why doesn't God always answer? Or why doesn't every prayer meeting turn into the Welsh revival? Or why did God let Evan Roberts get burnt out if he was so catalytic? in leading that revival. And I think these are great questions. They're question, questions I've asked, but I'm not gonna spend any time on them today. Today, I just wanna boldly call us to pray. I wanna boldly call us as a church to intercede with an unwavering conviction that prayer is desperately needed and that it objectively makes a difference. I need prayer, our team needs prayer, this church needs prayer. The city needs prayer. Canada needs prayer. The world needs prayer. And even with our, all our legitimate questions, we would be really missing it to conclude anything other than we're getting nowhere without prayer. Even when it comes to strategy, all the best strategy that really brings fruitful, fruitfulness is birthed in prayer. As Abraham Lincoln once said, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. And uh, none of us know the crushing pressure of being the president at that time in history. But man, I hope we could be a people in the city of Vancouver with all its comforts and all its beauty that would actually look at the brokenness and the overwhelming sense in which like, how are we gonna make a dent? and just go, we got nowhere else to go. 
but to get on our knees before God. With all the great skill and strategy that's even represented in this room, just that we always conclude, regularly conclude, we got nowhere else to go. I wanna look at one text from scripture today, one primary text from the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter four, verse two. It says this, be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And I am so convinced you could all memorize this verse. Maybe you already have right now. You just did. Uh, This is something you probably weren't expecting. There'd be some Bible memorization this morning, but what a gift. Here it is, Colossians 4, 2, be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I wanna just split up in two sections. I wanna talk about the call for us to be devoted. And then I wanna talk a little bit about why why I think Paul says watchfulness and thankfulness is so important. Be devoted to prayer. This is our pastoral team's invitation to you as we begin a new ministry year. Get it on the calendar, prioritize it. Uh, Many of you appropriately are devoted to your craft, you're devoted to a job, to your kids, to a relationship. But I do wanna ask the question, are you devoted to prayer? I am sincerely asking myself that question these days. Am I devoted to prayer? John Wesley was. 5 a.m. every morning for an hour, kneeling down, crying out to God, saying, this is all, this is, this is all I got. Without it, I'm nothing. Zinzendorf was devoted. When he was faced with division in the church, he goes, you know what we gotta do? We gotta pray. You know what does make things change? When we get together and we cry out to God. Even when it feels like division is so great and it feels like unity is so impossible, you know what could change things? Crying out to God. You know who's able to bring unity? The spirit of the living God. I love it. Devotion, commitment, and then a hundred years, nonstop prayer. Evan Roberts was devoted to prayer as a young person, and then after seeing hundreds of thousands come to faith, decided a great use of the rest of his life would be to commit every day to prayer. Removed from the action, but not removed from the action. Before the throne of the living God, crying out, God, continue to work. Uh, My friend Jason, we all know and love. Um, I was thinking about this this week as I was thinking about prayer. Jason committed himself to prayer in high school Not all of you would have heard the story, but he started a prayer group at Terry Fox Secondary and they met, they started to meet weekly and it wasn't cool (laughs) to pray. There's a few of them, but then the prayer meeting grew. And then over time, it actually led to a prayer movement. Other high school students catching a vision to go, what if I could just, just gather with friends to pray and ended up leading to a ministry that's like many other ministries around the world called Campus Fire. And Campus Fire like lit this hard in more and more high school students across British Columbia. And they began to pray. And Jason, I was just thinking this week, I'm like, man, what came out of that really was this passion for the Youth Alpha Film Series and to develop that, which has now reached so many high school students around the globe. But just like in our own story, I'm like, no, but prayer's what did it. Prayer's where it started. Every great thing that we see, it's like, wow, that's such an incredible resource or thing that's happened, but it always starts in simple, devoted prayer, a recognition we need God. My mom is a person devoted to prayer. 
She's actually here this morning. I wasn't expecting that, but here we go. I get to honor her right in front of her face. Um, and uh, my mom goes on a prayer walk every day. And the majority of her prayer is for others on behalf of neighbors, on behalf of her kids, on behalf of people in the church. And there's a lot I can say about my mom, but two things I want to say today. I can't remember a year she didn't see miracles in the hearts of people she was praying for. People coming to faith who've never been to church, people returning to God against all odds. And secondly, I've never seen her lose faith. I've never seen her lose passion for those who don't know Jesus. I've never seen her grow jaded about the state of things. And I think prayer sets us up for that. I was recently feeling just particularly aware of God's, my need for God's grace in my life. And then was also experiencing God's grace in my life. Just the sense of like, you know, those moments where you're like, I'm, I'm doing better than I probably should be like this inner strength. And I ran into an old family friend and they asked how I was doing. And I, I told them. And then with tears in their eyes, they shared with me for the first time that they pr- they've been praying for me every day for 15 years. Devoted to prayer. Bill Johnson is the pastor of Bethel Church in Reading. He's a godly man, a very criticized man. And he was recently asked how he deals with all the criticism he receives from other church leaders. And his response deeply moved me. He said this, he said, he takes communion regularly. And whenever he does, he prays for the specific names of five church uh, ministry leaders who are all, the, all five of the ministries are specifically targeted against him and what they're doing. And he, as he was sharing, he just began to cry. And he said, you know, I pray for their kids. I pray that God would bless their lives. I pray that they would know the great joy of their kids and grandkids walking in the fullness of Christ. I pray for everything about their life. Wow. Devotion to prayer. Rhythm that puts us in the posture of crying out to God and getting our hearts in the right place. So again, we devote ourselves to many things. But I want to ask us, are we devoted to prayer? I'm realizing that for me, Devotion to prayer likely won't look like it did for Evan Roberts. Like two years from now, I'm probably not just packing up, leaving the way, going somewhere north of Pemberton to live in a cottage till I'm 75, but you never know. So, um, but probably not. But it can start to look more like my mom's devotion to prayer. Walk the neighborhood, make a prayer list, Start a rhythm of praying for my enemies like Bill. Communion and praying for their families. Maybe for you, it will mean getting to work or school 15 minutes early to pray for coworkers, to pray for classmates, for God to move. Maybe for you, it will mean getting some friends together on a weekly basis and committing a section of the time to pray for the city, for those who don't know God. And maybe it'll mean starting to come to prayer each week, little plug for our weekly prayer meetings that we do here at The Way. Um, this week we're starting um, Thursday, Thursdays at 12 p.m. in North Vancouver and 7 a.m. at our new office space and a beautiful little chapel um, that, that's there. And we're just going to pray every week and we're going to intercede together. And so maybe a rhythm could be you're like, I'm going to join in with other people, part of the church. 
I don't know what it'll look like, but I want to invite you to take seriously what it might look like for you to devote yourself to prayer in a new way. Like you might to a class, like you might to a relationship, like you might to a cause. I do want to pose the question because I think many of you would be appropriately asking it. What should we pray for? Like if we're to devote ourselves to prayer, maybe even some of the reasons behind you uh, not doing that even as much as you'd like would be like, what do I do in that space? You know, what does it mean for me to devote myself to prayer? Maybe you think about someone who's like five to 6 a.m. every morning or an hour prayer walk and you're like, how do you fill the space? Like, what are we supposed to pray for? And really what I mean is biblically speaking, what should we pray for when it comes to intercessory prayer? So um, we've made a list and I just wanna say uh, right at the top that it's an incomplete list, but here we go. To intercede biblically is to pray for leaders, to get on our knees and to pray for presidents and prime ministers, queens, kings, people in authority, mayors. To pray biblically is to pray for the city you live in, to pray for Vancouver, to pray actually that the city would be strengthened, that there'd be wisdom for those making decisions and just pray for blessing in our city and a fear of the Lord and the list goes on. To pray biblically is to pray for Canada, to pray for the healing of our land, to pray that the nation would know God, would be aware of who he is, that more and more people would um, turn towards him in their desperation and division. To pray biblically is to pray for the gospel to go forward rapidly and be honored as 2 Thessalonians 3 says, I love that. To pray that the gospel will go forward rapidly. To pray biblically is to pray for boldness in proclamation of the gospel. My goodness, do we need this prayer to be answered today. And all the ideas that come up against the, the word of God and against the gospel of Jesus Christ, People who know him need courage by the power of his spirit to actually go forward and continue to proclaim it. I, as I think about those, even right now, as I think about those movements throughout history, like so much of the answers to the prayers must have been like God just giving people courage that they did not have in their own strength to go out and give themselves away to bring goodness and light to a world in need. To pray biblically is to pray for Christian unity to pray like Zinzendorf, to just go, God, in the midst of division, in the midst of chaotic situations, I believe by the power of your spirit, you could come and bring unity amongst us. It also, more importantly than Zinzendorf, echoes the prayer of Jesus before he went to the cross, to pray, Father, would, would they be one as we're one? To pray biblically is to pray people would have a knowledge of God's will. To pray biblically is to pray for protection from the evil one. To pray biblically is to pray that God's name would be honored as we looked at over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount to say, let your name be known, Father. In our time, in our city, in our, my family, in my workplace, Father, would your name be hallowed and honored and experienced and believed in? To pray biblically is to pray for the kingdom of God to come, for darkness to be pushed back, for light to break forth, to pray biblically is to pray for the sick. To believe that God heals today and to cry out that God would bring healing to minds and bodies. To pray biblically is to pray for the demonized, those oppressed by the devil, those tormented. To pray biblically is to pray for unbelievers, to pray for friends and family, people we know who we just think there's no way they would ever turn to God 
And then in our skepticism with a little bit of faith we might have to get on our knees and go, God, would you save like you save? To pray biblically is to pray for provision for those in need. To pray biblically is to pray for signs and wonders. God, show up and prove yourself, get people's attention. To pray biblically is to pray for the next generation. To pray biblically is to pray against oppression and injustice. And to pray biblically is to pray that God would send out more workers for the harvest. One of the things I've been personally convicted of recently as I get to know Vancouver better is the problem is not that people are not spiritually hungry. The problem is I need more courage and we need more workers. The problem isn't that people aren't open to a conversation with God, about God. The problem is we just, we just need more people in the workplace, in school, who have the courage by the power of the Holy Spirit to open up our mouths and begin to testify and have conversation. At least that's been my growing conviction in these months and days. To pray biblically is to pray for the raising of the dead. To pray biblically is to pray Christians don't fall into temptation. I know there's so much brokenness around and sadness and even an overwhelming sense of just how, how much failure there is in the church today. But as I was preparing this, I felt convicted to pray more for Christians than I do talk about their failure. I just feel like, my God, this is one of the things he calls to pray for. Pray that people wouldn't fall into temptation, given courage. To pray biblically is to pray for strategic wisdom. And to pray biblically is to pray that people's faith would endure till the end. Corey Ten Boom asks this question. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? And as a leadership team, we're convicted to keep asking this question. Every week we're in offices, making decisions, trying to make good decisions, uh, planning Sundays and programs and introducing new programs and meeting with people and engaging in all sorts of things. But we find ourselves every season we come back to like, this is why we, you might no, have noticed if you've been around for a while, we're talking about prayer in these types of series because we just like, even right from the get-go, the first one in the series is, is we're asking this question again, like, is it our steering wheel or is it our spare tire? God, may it always be our steering wheel. Like, would first place be to be on our knees? Like, would, be, would we always have the posture of where else would we go? We've got nothing. It doesn't matter what amazing personalities are in the mix. It doesn't matter what kind of, like, you know, things are happening that seem to be successful. We've got nothing without the power and intervention and movement of the Holy Spirit. And so I invite you to ask yourself that question, but all, then also pray for our church as a whole community that we would always make prayer our go-to. So that's devotion to prayer. Secondly, I want to invite us, as Paul does, to be watchful and thankful. And I think that, I'll just give it away and then we'll get into it. It's just, I love this verse, be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful, because I actually think watchfulness leads to thankfulness. And it actually is what continues to motivate us and fuel us to keep being devoted to prayer. We said differently, without watchfulness, it's tough to keep being devoted. Uh, let's, I want to illustrate by sharing an amazing story from the book of Acts. Um, if you're new to faith, 
um, and you haven't read the book of Acts, I encourage you to do it. It's just a, it's the wild account of the early church kind of coming alive and getting things going. And uh, if you are a Christian and you haven't read it in a while, it's always just good to get back there. Acts chapter 12, um, verses five through 16 says, Peter was kept in prison. He was in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called, called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And this is a fascinating story. It's a beautiful story of the church being devoted to prayer. Like, honestly, just think about the church gathered in a house at night. I don't know how many hours, but just going, we're just praying for deliverance for Peter and all these other things that we're looking at. Um, but for obvious reasons, you might question the level of faith they had. And yet it seems like God answered their prayer. But then when, they, when, when it was answered, they hardly, hardly believed it. And I just want to consider the story a little more and let it illustrate for us what I think our prayer lives should look like according to Paul in Colossians 4.2. Firstly, we should be devoted like they were devoted, praying hard, earnestly. I love the picture, at a house, lots of people there to pray. But then if you'll follow me, like, don't you think it would have made a little bit of sense for someone every half hour to just kind of poke their head out the door and look for Peter? Or like, every couple hours just to go like, I wonder if he's coming down there, you know? Um, a looking led by a certain level of holy hope. Be devoted to prayer, being watchful. Um, I wanna confess, I don't know everything this text might mean, but I feel like the crew at Mary's weren't fully living into it. Granted, I wish I had a life more like them in terms of devotion, but they weren't fully living into Colossians 4 too. Because if we're praying with faith, we should be watching. Or maybe better said, I wanna pray with the kind of faith that leads me to watch. Not with a weird sense of certainty, but in a way that proves we believe God's listening. I think the idea is pray and watch, thinking of course God will respond in some way. Elizabeth Elliot says, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. I love that. 
I love that invitation to pray that we're like, I know that I can be confident in prayers because I'm actually laying hold of what God's already wanting to do as I pray in line with his will. And then I'm like, it's a link. It just connects something God's already wanting to do and he wants me to use me in that way. And so in that sense, there should be an expect, like a, like a holy expectation as we pray in line with his will that God's gonna show up and move. Psalm five, verse three says, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and I wait expectantly. First John five fourteen says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when I pray for someone who's sick or anxious, I think I should respectfully ask if they're feeling any better. If the back pain's lessened, a week later, if they feel any, have felt any less anxious that week. When you pray for someone to come to know Jesus, you should pay attention to whether they're becoming more open or whether they're asking certain questions they maybe weren't asking before. I think part of the reason this command is given by Paul is so that we don't get discouraged with our prayers. There's no evidence that uh, the crew at Mary's house was discouraged about their prayers. They were going for it. But I think if you're like me, sometimes you get discouraged in your prayers. You might have like a level of like, I'm going to the prayer meeting or I've been praying for this thing for three months or 20 years. And discouragement can set in. Um, I prayed for a lot of names that have now come to know Jesus or who are now walking in freedom from addiction. But then in my current prayer life, I still find myself discouraged with the lack of breakthrough. And I think it's because I've often lacked a watchfulness in my prayer life. Um, I remember when I was a kid, it's another shout out for my amazing mom. Um, when I was a kid, my mom made us a prayer tree. I'm sure you all know what that is. I'm joking. I don't even know if they're still a thing, but we're resurrecting them. So um, <clears throat> basically, Basically, we'd write on these sticky notes, we'd write these prayer requests and we'd put them actually at the bottom of the tree and there were all the things that we were praying for. And it was like a daily thing. We'd pray for these things that were going on in our lives or things we, we were praying about. And then as we saw God answer the prayers, we'd take the sticky note and then we'd put it up in the branches of the tree. And we left the answers there. And I love what it illustrates I think it illustrates what Paul's getting at in Colossians 4 too. It's kind of this like, okay, I'm gonna devote myself to prayer, but I'm not gonna stop what, or I'm gonna lean in to watch and be aware of the ways that he's answering them. In other words, you got 10 things down here and then only goes, oh, these two, these have actually been answered. And so we move them up and then we're discouraged about seven and eight or whatever ones are down here. We go like, but I remember that he's the God who answers prayer. I remember that he does show up and we leave those things up to be a continual encouragement to lead us to thankfulness and then to move us back into a committed, devoted life of prayer. It might not be in the form of a prayer tree, although it can be, you just feel free. I'd be excited to see some at the way Vancouver Instagram made a prayer tree, you know? Um, but I think we all need this kind of thing in our lives. Rhythms, pictures, ways of recognizing God's involvement. And when we commit to rhythms of prayer, this text can become a cyclical pattern in our lives. We devote ourselves to prayer. We watch, we recognize the ways he is moving. We thank God for it. 
and our awareness that he does answer prayer leads us back with fuel for the fire to keep on praying. So in conclusion, I wanna call us to devotion and watchfulness, to both commitment and faith, to a belief that prayer is worth it and to a belief that things will change when we pray. I wish we could all take a class together on church history and just saturate ourselves in the fuel that prayer has been again and again. And I wish I could take you all up that tower in Hernhut, Germany. Wish we get a big group picture up there. It'd be awesome. I wish we could all line up and walk through where John Wesley prayed every day, but that would take a while. And uh, I really wish we could all pack out that schoolhouse in Wales and do a worship night. Aaron, it'd be a good spot for it. Location, worship on location. Um, But we don't need to be in those spots to be very aware that God is a God who calls us to devoted prayer. And he is a God who answers. And even with the questions, we'd be really missing it to not conclude It's all we've got. And it's gotta be our starting place. Prayer has continually been the way people truly partner with God's purposes throughout history. And we're invited to be part of partnering with him right now in 2022, Vancouver, British Columbia, to turn the tides, to see division turn into unity, to see apathy turn into passion, to see fear turn into courage and to see Vancouver turn towards Jesus. So let's pray. Uh, Father, I love these people. You love them more. You know us, you know our context. For some reason this moment, I'm just kind of struck by like, in some ways we think so high of ourselves, but in some ways we just think not very much of ourselves. But I just pray that we get caught up with you in a new way in this season. Um, Just that we get caught up with that we actually could make a difference via prayer. That things could shift forever in our city. That our nation could turn around. That we could see thousands, hundreds of thousands of people come to life-saving faith in you, even in our time. I just feel so humbled even by recognizing stories like in three months, what you can do by your power that I couldn't even scratch the surface of with all my best work in a lifetime. And so we want to repent where we need to. We want to change our minds, maybe about prayer and how important it is. And God, would you give us grace and courage to prioritize it afresh? Would it be our go-to? Would it be our steering wheel? In Christ's name, amen.